Welcome to Plexweather. Today, welcome back to Plexweather. This is Jason Anderson, Blackman United. I'm back. The show is back. Uh, Going to get on a more normal schedule. The Olympics and my overreach in trying to cover them are in the past, and we're back at it again. Unfortunately, not talking about a lot of fun stuff. I'm going to try and keep this intro real short because our my conversation is a long one. I was fortunate to be joined by Molly Hensley Clancy from the Washington Post to talk over everything that's going on with the spirit. We did talk about the on the field stuff, which uh, is is was the original purpose of this podcast and, and will still be definitely a factor. It's just that we have so much going on with the spirit off the field that to not talk about it would be, but I think malpractice on the, on my part in doing this podcast. So we are definitely going to talk about it. We're going to talk about her reporting uh, on both the environment uh, under Richie Burke within the spirit, her reporting on the ownership struggle that is currently ongoing as far as we know, and the vibe in the stadium, the banner situation that that you probably saw on Twitter. If you didn't, uh, you'll be able to find it pretty easily, I think. All of those things, plus the soccer side, like I said, it's a long conversation, and I'm going to start it right now. All right. For the first time uh, on Plex Weather, I'm joined by Washington Post reporter Molly Hensley Clancy. Molly, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Unfortunately, we we don't have a lot of like super fun stuff to talk about. It's very important to have this discussion, but it's not a lot of good news. Uh, as Spirit fans, I'm sure don't need to be told. You over the past, uh, I've lost my sense of time, but I think over what like three weeks, give or take. About that. Yep. You've uh, you've had two reports about how things have been going at the Spirit, what went on with Richie Burke, allegations, extremely well-sourced allegations with multiple players. Uh, Kaya McCullough went on the record for this, which is a, a pretty substantial thing on her part, to talk about the abusive environment that was going on under Richie. Uh, and then also, to the side of this in the front office area, a power struggle within ownership that maybe maybe reaches the coaching situation it, it seems to have been kind of exacerbated uh maybe not triggered by it because it was already kind of happening but has sprung into high gear uh since the coaching situation so w- we have a lot of stuff to talk about it's it's uh not going to be normally this is kind of a, a fun show and unfortunately we, you know the reality of this is that there's no way to talk about it in a fun way um but I, I guess I, I wanted to start first off by kind of for the folks that I would, if you're listening to this, I would urge you to read the articles. They'll be in the show notes if you haven't read them, uh, both over at the post. I think there are a couple other references that I'm going to make. I'm going to get all of those articles in the show notes so um, people can read those or re- even reread them and, and um, you know, just kind of internalize everything that's been going on with the team. We're in a really confused environment with the spirit because of the stuff that that's in your piece. So I, I guess I wanted to start first of all by getting like a timeline here. How long were you pursuing the story of the first story, uh, the story of uh, the the pretty extensive allegations of abuse uh, from Richie Burke? Yeah, sure. So that was a definitely a long longer term investigation that I did. Um, I'm an investigative reporter here at the post. Um, and I, I would say it was, it was over a month, um, mm-hmm. of, of, um, both, you know, reaching out to players, um, and, you know, fact, then fact checking and all of that kind of stuff, you know, we're very careful about 
um, you know, what we print and, and that we can substantiate everything. And we have multiple players, you know, backing up what we're hearing. Um, and, uh, you know, I was, yeah, I, I know you mentioned Kaya McCullough. Um, I was just, you know, very, um, I think it was very brave of her to, mm-hmm. you know, go on the record. I think she was very aware that it was not going to be an easy process. Um, and she was, you know, she said um, that this is like the scariest thing she's ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, a lot of my time was was talking to her. But, you know, other players who maybe, you know, for Kaya, she's um, she's not really involved in soccer right now. She's going to law school. She's got mm-hmm. a lot of other badass stuff that she's doing some of the other players I talked to were are still in the soccer world or you know might return to it or you know were nervous so I talked to them anonymously or talked to people close to them I guess mm-hmm. um, to try and back up everything but yeah it was it was a long process yeah um, and, and you know like like you mentioned um, you know there's a difference there, there was some criticism in NWSL Twitter in general about like why don't these things come out earlier and as you point out, you know, it's very difficult for players to come forward. Um, the league is set up in a way that makes it, it deters that sort of thing pretty, pretty substantially. Uh, and it's also just, if you hear one little thing and you come forward with that and put an article out about that, that could end up not being true. Um, but we are, we, we are talking about a league where, you know, misinformation or fra- fragments of information come through a lot. And, um, you know, to, to do the proper reporting, it takes that level of um, time and, and finding, let me make sure I've got, you know, many, many sources backing this up. And, and in this case, obviously, um, there are so many that, you know, fans, I'm sure heard there was a tweet uh, only, I want to say yesterday of a, what ostensibly is a screen cap of a conversation between uh, a fan and, and Richie Burke uh, text message uh, exchange. Um that that went around pretty pretty virally yesterday but that's like that's kind of the way things go in this this environment where it's it's super important to make sure this stuff is nailed down um yeah. and not hearsay um and so i i want to you know pay my compliments because it's it's a um you know a story that makes such a big difference and it's very important that this stuff is actually covered because as we're in a moment right now with NWSL where it seems like every couple of hours something comes out that looks really bad for a given team. You know, it's only, I don't know, uh, 15 hours since the Christy Holly thing uh, broke loose in Louisville. I was like playing, so I was at a pickup game last night and I went to bed without looking at Twitter and I woke up this morning and I was just like, Oh my God. Um, yeah. It's, it's endless at this point. I mean, but I, I think the, to your point, one thing that changed this year is that the league finally got a, a formal anti-harassment policy. Um, you know, when I was talking to the league about what was in place beforehand, they were saying, well, we had a policy, but it wasn't, they didn't have any anything written and players were briefed on it, but not in 2020. So that whole right. year where a lot of this was going on, frankly, that players had no idea um, and didn't know where they could turn and, and were nervous about, you know, where they could turn. Um, so that that's some important context. And I think once you, once the policy is in place, we've now seen, I mean, I, I actually, we, it's not clear whether the Louisville situation was related to the anti-harassment policy. It seems right. like we only know that he was terminated for cause, but, mm-hmm. you know, we saw in Gotham um, that, you know, that, that uh, Elise LeHue left or was fired because of the anti-harassment policy. So you've mm-hmm. already seen it working um, and it makes you think about, you know, what if this had been in place 
five years ago, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where it's like, wow, this really should have been, been, been there as early as possible. And, uh, Unfortunately, yeah. what it means, one thing it means is that a lot of these situations took root over time. Um, it wasn't someone came in new and started acting this way and, and was br there briefly and then gone uh, quickly. Um, a lot of these situations played out over a long period of time. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, that kind of that kind of gets into something that you noted um, in your report on on Burke, that um, these were situations that certain players maybe weren't targeted uh, in the same way as other players. And certain players were just having fairly typical coach player interactions where it was like, you did this wrong, uh, fix this and that, and, and, you know, change this. And, you know, obviously anyone that's been to a game in person or watched on the streams, you could hear Richie yelling from the sidelines. Um, but usually what it was, the information being conveyed that gets picked up on those field mics is just like, um, you know, pay attention or, or move the ball faster thing, things that are ultimately fairly typical information to be conveyed, but other players, and it, this seems to be a recurring theme is that certain players got sort of targeted and it was just repetitive and it wasn't just adjust this aspect of your soccer playing. It was personal. Um, so I guess I, 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 I wanted to ask just um, not that not that I'm asking like who the players are at all, uh, because we should respect their privacy and, and the listeners, I, I hope will do that, too. But um, how how are people coping with the aftermath of this uh, in, in I, I don't want you to put words in their mouth, but um, mm -hmm. what are your impressions of of that situation? How are people dealing with the fact that a lot of them are still in soccer and yet? they've got this kind of thing playing out probably in the back of their head. Yeah. I mean, I think that um, to your point about certain players being targeted, that that was definitely like a pattern that I saw. Um, and, mm. and, you know, it says this in the story, so I'm not revealing anything new that, that these players were not starters. So, um, you know, and what I heard from them was typically that that Burke would have, you know, he would have the A team training in the B team and mm -hmm. what the A team was hearing and the way the A team was being treated was maybe not necessarily what the B team was getting. Um, and mm -hmm. that the B team, you know, that these players really said that they were, they were, they felt targeted by him in a way that the, you know, the starters weren't. Um, and it was in ways that were, like I said, very personal, you know, one player said he would tell her repeatedly, you're never going to make the national team again you know, he called them dog shit, pardon my language, um, you know, things like that, mm -hmm. worthless, waste of space, um, all those kinds of things. Um, I think that for the most part, uh, players seemed, the ones that I was speaking to seemed pretty relieved um, to have it out in the world and to see mm -hmm. the team, um, you know, <laughs> regardless of kind of how it started, that he was quickly, you know, put on suspension, um, you know, they're, they are conducting an investigation. So I think that was, that was good to see for them to see that, that the league seems to be taking it very seriously. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I don't know the veracity of that conversation that, um, you know, was circulated on Twitter yesterday uh, yeah. with Richie. I, I can't, all I can say is that, you know, I think it was probably, it was tough for, I think for players to maybe read that, Um I can say that, you know, we reached out to Richie with very detailed, um, you know, 
allegations of what the story was going to say. And the spirit also got a very detailed list of what the story was going to say. So, you know, they had, you know, he had a chance to respond. They had a chance to respond. They had a chance to say this isn't true. Um, and that's just not, you know, he did not respond um, to any of that. So, you know, for us, like we, we, I, we always give people a very fair chance mm. to talk to us. And, you know, I, I'm, he has my number um, if he wants to call me. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, um, uh, you know, it, it kind of speaks to, um, on some level, at least it, it I, I don't want to make an explicit connection because I don't know that this is true, but there has been a roster building dynamic with the spirit where they bring in a crop of players. And then at the end of the season, you, you see seven, eight, nine players, uh, let go at the end of the year. Um, mm -hmm. and that's not every team releases some players, but in the NWSO, you usually don't see a pattern of that many players departing a team. You know, maybe after a first year, you say, okay, they're in, or, you know, they're rebuilding after the 2018 team is pretty legendarily bad, uh, on the field. <laughs> um, so you understand that they brought in a bunch of new players, they cycled through and they say, okay, these are the players that are, are best at what we're going to do. You And you can explain it to yourself from a soccer perspective to some extent, but then to see it happen again, it was like, well, that's maybe this is just how they want to do it. Um, but now, you know, like you're saying the the A team, B team dynamic, it does make you wonder how much this is connected to those personnel decisions. Um, and, you know, to some extent, those personnel decisions are still, as of today, well, would still be made by uh, not the same coach, but the same general manager slash uh, the spirit change job titles a lot. Um, but Larry, Larry Best, general manager, president of soccer operations, et cetera. Um, and, and, you know, it's hard to say exactly how connected those things are, but it does make you wonder that the there's a sort of I think. I, I might be confusing articles at this point because there's so many, but um, I believe you you use the word silo to refer to how um, the organization kind of feels at times. There's I, I can confirm from just doing the general day to day, you know, is such and such available, blah, blah, blah. Who's going to when are we going to speak to players and, and things like that, that there are times where it does feel like the soccer side of the organization is closed off and it can open the door, so to speak, and choose to put some information out, but then the door is closed again. Um, yeah. And so I I am curious um, if if there's any, I, I don't want you to, you know, speculate and, and say anything that, that uh, puts you in a bad way, but, you know, is, is there maybe a connection to not just the culture within the team, obviously there's damage there, um, but also from a, you know, are players like, I don't want to be here? Or, or are players like, I would rather get out of here, I don't want to come here, or, you know, things like that, where maybe you heard, you know, yeah. it, it, how is it, I guess, I guess the, the long, the, this is the long way around to a short question, which is like, how is this impacting the, the spirit in terms of a place players want to be? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's absolutely, so I, I'm, you know, a spirit fan, and before, mm -hmm. before I was a sports reporter, um, and so what you mentioned about, you know, the players being waived, um, I, as soon as I, you know, initially got this tip that a player had left because of, of emotional abuse, which is kind of how it came to me. Um, I am, my first thought was, was thinking back to, you know, those lists of players that are being waived back last time and not, not to say, you know, who it was, but I just remember thinking, you know, oh, I've, 
that she was really good. You know, she mm-hmm. did a lot. She may not have been a starter, but she had a really strong season. You know, I remember, um, and I, this was the conversation on Twitter as well. Um, I think was, there were some surprises of who was leaving. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, my story, part of the reason I think, I think it can be hard to sometimes report, you know, feelings, but once it sure. rose to the level of, I was able to substantiate that four players had left in part because of Burke's treatment to me that, you know, that really clearly rose to a level of the story, but also, yeah, I mean, that affects the field. Um, and I can say for sure that, you know, the way that they're, you know, that, that those players leaving, you know, Kaya McCullough didn't, didn't play, um, but some of the players did um, and, you know, left, you know, and I think that I've heard of others as well who left, you know, who maybe would have wanted, you know, the the ownership would have wanted them to stick around. Mm. Um, I also think that, um, and again, you know, I think there is this distinction between the quote unquote A team and the B team, but from the players I talked to, you know, the way that Richie treated them, they said really affected their on-field performance. Mm. Um, and it cost, you know, they said that it cost the team on the field. They felt their teammates, some of their teammates underperformed because of, frankly, just being afraid. Um, mm. And, you know, I, there was a, a young player who um, had a panic attack, uh, appeared to have a panic attack on the field during a, a pretty important game um, because, Richie was, was screaming at her. And afterward he sort of continued to berate her is what I was told. And, you know, she was sobbing. Um, so it's, it's hard to argue with the fact that like, you know, not having a panic attack on the field is probably better than having, right. you know, yeah. um, in terms of the, you know, how the, how the team performed. So um, yeah, I mean, I think it absolutely affected them on the field. I think, you know, they've, they've got some really talented young players mm-hmm. Um that's to me not you know like that's it's not a question that like you know Ashley Ashley Sanchez and Trinity Rodman and Dorian Bailey there's a lot of really great young players that are performing really well so you know it's it's not a a rule um but definitely from what I heard from these players it it affected them on the field a lot Mm. and you know this is also um the the kind of thing that uh maybe it comes to light earlier if players are more accessible. Um, this is, I, I can speak to, you know, my, my, however, I, I'm not necessarily super comfortable saying reporting, um, covering mm-hmm. the team, but, um, you know, there, are, there's a different way that the spirit operated, um, up until now, um, where right now I, I, I will say we haven't had the traditional pregame media, uh, since the coaching change. Um, and the reason that I've been given is just that, there are two coaches doing four or five people's jobs um, and no one has time, um, which, which I can understand uh, to, to some extent, but I also, you know, other teams would make players available. And I always got the sense that that was not a communication staff choice that we were only speaking with Richie. That was, uh, that struck me. I, I can't say for sure. It just always, I had the impression that this was how Richie preferred things to be. Um, and that closed off thing also allows this sort of environment. Uh, I'm not saying they are definitely connected, but it definitely seems like if you wanted to run an environment where players are, you know, being treated this way, one thing you can't do uh, is let the media be around um, because this will come out very quickly. Um, So I, I I am curious about how, uh, how much access these players had to, 
um, avenues to do something uh, because, you know, uh, as, as you mentioned, you know, players have to worry about retaliation. Um, you players have, uh, we talked about the anti-harassment policy and players were not aware of it. So did, were you under the impression that the spirit internally had any real structure for players? You know, maybe they can't go to the league, but they could, what can they do at the spirit to, you know, get out from under this sort of, uh, you know, pretty toxic environment? I did not, you know, the players I spoke to did not feel like there was any, anyone within the spirit organization, um, really that they could go to, um, mm. particularly without, um, without feeling, be, being worried about retaliation, basically, um, mm. that, you know, they felt that Richie would retaliate against them. I, I also think the, you know, this, the, my second story, which, um, you know, re reported on Steve Baldwin and um, Larry Best, I think that's kind of important context here as well, because they, the players I talked to, you know, knew that when Richie was hired, um, much of what they experienced was actually known publicly yes. shortly after he was hired. Um, mm -hmm. It was made public, you know, that there were these allegations against him from youth players. And for my part, I mean, I, I remember, you know, when I was looking at Twitter after my story came out and people were, were tweeting quotes from the youth players and it was like they were indistinguishable, basically, yes. from yeah. my story. I mean, it was really like same language, same pattern. Um, so I think from what I heard from the players, you know, they are looking at the at an organization that, you know, ultimately went forward with hiring this this coach despite, you know, knowing this about him. And so I, I think some of them felt, well, you know, they, they this is well known. Like everyone knows this is happening. People see it, you know, uh, you know, Larry and Steve would be at practices, um, you know, especially Larry. Um, so that, you know, they felt that's, this is just what they told me was that they felt that ownership knew that this was happening. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, that's a deterrent to, to stepping, you know, to stepping up. I, I also think that, you know, one thing that I hadn't really thought about when I started reporting this was kind of the cultural and gender context of this. Um, mm -hmm. several of the players, that I spoke to really felt like there is kind of this culture of, especially um, if you're a woman athlete, you're kind of expected to just suck this up. And this is what happens. A lot of them, you know, this is just the, ex the expected way you're treated and you don't want to seem weak. You don't want to seem, um, you don't want people to, you know, have these stereotypes about women athletes that they can't handle getting yelled at and, um, so several of them mentioned to me this this gender context and feeling like um, like they couldn't speak up because they in part because they really wanted. Um, I don't know, they wanted to be seen a certain way, I guess, yeah. um, and they wanted to be tough um, and they were, you know, that they were tough. I think a lot of those players have played against under really tough coaches before. So, mm -hmm. you know, they said, like, I've, I've played with tough coaches. This was not for me. This was not just a tough coach. This was a, a whole other level, basically. Um, yeah. And yeah. I, I thought Kaya, Kaya was very interesting to me because what she told me was actually that she played under at UCLA. She played mm -hmm. under the woman coach, Amanda Cromwell, um, who she loves and who treated her really well. Um, and she said it kind of it gave her some context of like, this is how, you know, you can treat your right. players. This is, this is the way you should be treated. This is how you should feel at training. 
Um, and I thought that was really interesting that like having a, having a woman coach who, who is really respectful to your players. I've talked, I've interviewed Amanda Cromwell before, um, you know, that, that was kind of transformative for Kaya, um, in, in thinking about what she deserved to, to be treated. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, college soccer is pretty notoriously kind of hard nosed. Um, uh, a lot of very people that you would refer to as no nonsense, but that almost comes across as like uh, almost coded language at times, like Mm -hmm. no, no nonsense and hard nosed can translate to pretty bad. Um, but it's, you know, it's not like she was coming through a UCLA program where, uh, everyone was treated very well, but the demands weren't there. Uh, this was a team that demanded to try and contend for national titles. Um, and so it, it, it's, it's kind of, it's sad that it seems like not just at the spirit, but in other places as well, that, um, that sort of that ability to balance the high demand with also appropriate treatment, um, and allowing players to flourish rather than having to sort of overcome, um, a, a bad environment, um, uh, can't be a more common thing uh, because, you know, it. like we already talked about, it seems every day there's some sort of, we, we've got a few other, you know, moves that have happened around the league that, you know, that haven't been linked to anything specific, but, you know, there are maybe some red flags. Uh, Fareed Benstidi left OL Reign pretty suddenly um, with his history uh, that Lindsey Horan had spoke about or spoken about uh, more than once the, the, um, the body shaming and other issues like that, um, that the rain never really, they just said, well, we, he's not the coach anymore. And that was kind of the end of it. Um, and that's another issue that the league, I think will have to tackle over time is that these things maybe need to be explained. I think players and, and fans are kind of owed that at this point, a more thorough explanation of, um, why these changes are happening because, you know, we were talking before the show about, the variety of things that everyone was told about the coaching change here. Um, first it was a health issue with a reassignment. Uh, and then it was that the athletic reported actually it was a firing. And then the spirit the next day said that based on, uh, the, the things in your story, um, I, I'm trying to remember whether that statement came out that that was a spirit, uh, Steve Baldwin statement. If that came out before or just after your story, because it was all such a whirlwind. Right at the same time. Yeah. They, yeah. they put out at the, basically the second we published it. Um, right. Again, and, we talked to them. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and that was a statement that said um, that he had been suspended. So that's, I think that's all of the, ways that you cannot be the coach anymore all being covered in like a three-day span um but this is kind of the ongoing thing that the whole league really has to grapple with is that um the anti-harassment policy uh, you know maybe maybe it's connected to all of these maybe it's only connected to one or two um but it does seem like clubs are maybe just now starting to confront the fact that they have problems um but we aren't quite getting everything, which is that you have to sort of be upfront about this was the problem we had. Uh, and now this is what, these are the steps we're taking to solve that problem. And, um, you know, the hold us accountable side of it maybe hasn't come through with a lot of these. And, and it seems like a lot of times it's like, well, there's an investigation, so we can't say. Um, but it also does feel like there, there's maybe a middle ground between saying absolutely nothing and, 
at least saying something, giving giving people some some reason to hope that it's not going to repeat. Um, right. Because there is no guarantee that these situations don't just get you know resurrected under different people. Um, not that I don't want to come across as hinting at all that that's uh, I haven't heard a single thing about a bad environment post uh, Richie. Um, but again, there's the distance there. Um, I, I think I tweeted about this a little while ago that um, I, in the last, I want to say 19 months have been to one spirit training session. Um, and last year, I understand that, you know, they were just, they had just started preseason when uh, the world went from sort of like COVID was on the back burner on the nightly news to like, everything has to stop now because of this thing. Um, so I understood not being at training last year. Um, but this year there was one in April and then there was one in June that I couldn't go to at the last minute. And those are the only two. Um, in 2019, uh, I believe there were four training sessions. So there's also that, um, I, I hate to keep harping on it, but it like the closed environment does tend to lead to this. Um, and whether that needs to be addressed with, you know, maybe open training for season ticket holders to attend um, or media or both, or I don't know. Um, but obviously uh, we have a situation here and also across the league where a lot of bad things are, appear to be happening and there's not a lot of, um, not a lot of exposure for it until it ex sort of explodes in a way where uh, there are major consequences. And that means that things went on for too long. Right. Um, and I think I, that, mm -hmm, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I mean, I think that, you know, there is fans want to know these things. I think the media wants to know these things. I also think that like, it, it like sort of on a league level, um, it's really important to make sure that abusive coaches aren't being hired into new positions. And so, you know, I think that uh, I didn't actually, it was the athletic that reported on the spirit assistant coach, Tom Torres, who, yes. um, you know, the athletic reported and, you know, I can basically confirm, you know, that this happened, that he left the team after the Challenge Cup last year after making, you know, very inappropriate comments to players. Um, mm -hmm. And the team did not say anything. This was not known. It would not have been known had The Athletic not reported this. Um, and then, you know, last week he was announced as the head of coach of the new women's, women's league team. Mm -hmm. um, because The Athletic had reported this, fans, there was this outcry saying, right. you know, man was accused of inappropriate behavior with players you're less than a year later hiring him to a head coaching job with ostensibly like you know young young players in their 20, mm -hmm. early 20s um and they they a couple of days ago said that they're not going forward with the hire but none of that would have happened um you know because the spirit didn't say anything about why he had left and that was just kind of pushed under the rug and i think that you know, we don't know what happened with Farid at um, OL Reign, but we we do know that had Lindsay Haran not very bravely stepped up and, and mm -hmm. very explicit about what happened to her and what he did to her, we wouldn't know any of that either, you know? So it, it really, it shouldn't be incumbent on players to, and the, you know, it, this, but like, yeah, if you, for players right now, if they, if they want an abusive coach to not show up on another team, like it, it's on, it shouldn't be on Lindsey Grant, but it is basically. Right. Yeah, it's it's really uh, it's really sad how it really does seem to be over and over again. The players are having to say, you know, how do I balance the possibility of this impacting my career? And and you know, I, I can speak as a sort of a often disaffected uh, <laughs> nine to five worker. Like 
the emotions I have to invest in my day job are not that great. Uh, I did not spend, you know, every day from age five trying to get better at a desk job. Um, soccer players did. Um, they've poured everything into this and it becomes it's not just, you know, you losing your job is a big deal. Uh, but also this sort of like it's part of their identity. Um, it's kind of everything that they've done uh, for, to a certain extent. I mean, certain players have, you know, bigger lives outside of soccer. Some of them have that sort of a uh, dynamic in play, but others, it really is a, like, this is the thing I do. This is the, this is kind of how I think of myself. This is how I uh, relate to everything in the world. And now it's in danger, but I'm also in a different kind of danger from staying in that environment. Um, yeah. And it, it's really, I think, uh, absolutely critical that the league, I, I really hope that the league doesn't just say like, well, we have this policy and, and things are starting to change. So that's good. Um, that they need to make sure that they continue building up uh, more structures that, and more pathways where this sort of thing is not the norm. Um, and that teams are, for example, with the spirit, I was always under the impression that the coaching hire process was not extremely uh, uh, in depth. Um, essentially the ownership change came and, and, all the, the reporting from from your colleague, Steve Goff, at the time was that, you know, Steve Baldwin was coming in and that he already had Richie and Larry ready to go, um, which is, you know, I, I understand that a new owner would want to come in and have already a plan in place and things like that. But the other side of that is that if there's not really a coaching process, I, I believe Tom Torres was given an interview. Um, I don't know that for sure, but I've been given that impression multiple times over the years. But that's that's all I really ever heard. Um, and I was in the impression it was more of a like, well, we have to give a courtesy interview because he was already here. Right. Um, and that's another thing that leads to these uh, pretty troubled environments that we see not just here, but at multiple clubs where if, if no one if there's not even candidates for the job, uh, you end up with, you know, you, the people don't have to compete. Uh, and so the weaknesses of these candidates Maybe they're mean to people. Uh, for example, they're they're abusive to people. That gets it's like well, but also you know the the tactical side will be good. Um, right. So I, I guess we're just going to go with it. Um, but I, I did want to move into your second article um, about <laughs> the um, the ownership uh, power struggle, uh, which um, essentially um, I don't want to boil it down too much, but um, or maybe maybe I should just uh, ask you to summarize what. What's going on with the spirit, uh, the the main owners? Because we're not talking about the roughly forty or so uh, owners that came in this year. We're talking about Steve Baldwin, uh, Y. Michelle Kang, and to some extent Bill Lynch. Um, so, w what's happening uh, for for people that maybe haven't read the article yet? I want them to read the article though. Yeah, I mean because it's complicated. But um, mm -hmm. basically. Uh, what we know is that um, why Michelle King, so they each own 35% of the team. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, Steve is the CEO. Um, we know that why Michelle King offered to buy um, Steve's shares um, to buy him out of the team. Um, basically a uh, couple, a couple of days after my article was published after the post reported on, on Burke, he agreed. Um, the league was informed um, and then he changed his mind. Mm -hmm. uh, and now he is kind of 
he's basically accusing her of trying to force him out of the team. Um, just for context, the way we know this is because he sent an email to all of the NWSL owners and leadership. He CC'd Michelle, which I don't know what, I don't know if that was on purpose or not. It's mm. possibly one of those like, oops things, but right. he wrote an email detailing what he alleged that Michelle was trying to do, that she was trying to force him out of the team. Michelle responded and said, here's what's going on. You know, here's the context. Um, and while, like you mentioned before, I, I do think my, you know, the stuff with Richie is a, a part of it. I think that Michelle indicated this has been going on for a while. Um, mm. She said she went to Steve with issues about the team and about the team, the organizational culture in April. Um, and she didn't say what those were, um, but she said that subsequent to that, he first offered to sell his, his share. Um, and he mentioned at the time that it was time for the spirit to have a woman owner. This is what Michelle said, which, mm. you know, I think that you can read into that, what you would like about, you know, what those issues might've been or whatever, but, but he, you know, he told her he thought it was time for the spirit to have a woman owner. She agreed. Uh, and then that never went through until, you know, the conversations resumed in August. So mm. that's the whole context. Um, this made it into the story, but I think it's interesting. You know, there was this uh, image circulating of Lisa Baird and Michelle Kang at the Houston game, which was mm. the first game after Richie was suspended. Um, mm. You know, in the story, we reported that actually Michelle Kang had, had flown to pick Lisa up in her private jet and they flew together to this game. Um, the context of that is that at the time, you know, it seems, it appears that Steve had agreed to sell the team at that point. So, mm. you know, Lisa Baird, as far as I can tell, Lisa Baird thought she was flying to the game with the new owner of the Washington spirit. Right. That didn't materialize. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's very complicated. Um, <laughs> uh, I think that one thing that I find found very interesting is, you know, in his email, Steve to the leader, Steve said basically that he had brought on Michelle um, to be kind of an inspirational figure. Mm. Um, you know, a woman, she's an Asian American woman. She's an extremely successful businesswoman. You know, it's certainly sounded like he, he kind of expected her to be a silent partner in this. Um, yeah. And that didn't, that's not how it turned out. I think, you know, she got quite close to the team. It seems like, you know, we reported that she took them, you know, they visited her house um, in Florida over preseason. She took them to a really fancy dinner at Nobu, um, which is like very expensive. And mm -hmm. she, you know, she and then she went to him with these issues. So she definitely like I, I don't think it was, you know, with the attention intention of taking over the team or anything like that, but she was not she didn't just sit there. She's you know, she's a businesswoman. Yeah. She saw she saw the team and you know, she got involved and she brought issues to Steve. Um so yeah, that's that's the basic summary. <laughs> yeah. Um and it is, it is um it's it's not it's something that I don't think has played out in DC pro soccer for quite a while. Um, <laughs> that level of uh, conflict uh, within the ownership ranks. Um, I, you know, to, to add to, to what you just said, I, I know that the reason that they were in Florida in West Palm Beach was also, um, I was told pretty clearly by the team that, that this was stuff that these were connections that, uh, that she had uh, in, in, cause she, she lives down there. That's her residence. Mm -hmm. Um and these were her connections for the most part that they were setting up camp down there. Um, so the, 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 the level of 
willingness to be an involved owner, I think came through, I can speak to uh, paying attention on draft day. Um, mm. Normally in the past, when, the, when we could have the draft in person, you go to the convention center and there are a bunch of tables. And um, since day one, Bill Lynch has always been at the table. Um, and I don't know how involved he is exactly, but he's at the table. So he's not just hanging out. Um, and Steve would be when he came in in 20 uh, in 2019, he wasn't present. But in 2020, that draft played out before COVID that was up in Baltimore. Um, he was there, but he was sort of around. He was he was not at the table, but Bill Lynch was. Um, but last year during the draft, you know, I figured I would see both of them on the the video that the team put out. Um, I was surprised. And I was like, oh, Michelle Kang, who just bought in only, I think, a matter of weeks before draft day um, is there as well. And I was like, that's interesting because they, you know, as with these ownership changes often go that they, they're not putting the share percentages out in the press release at all. Um, your reporting is the first that. Uh, I think any of that had come out at all uh, as, far, as, as far as what percentage people own, which added other questions about the many, many other owners of the team. Um, yeah, I think it's notable that they're called investors yes. in those releases. So I, I buy intuition is that they, they own the debt, basically, you know, or a it, fraction it, or something like that. Yeah. It's small. It, it has to be something like that. I tried to do some basic like back of napkin <laughs> math on how small those shares have to be for the club valuation to make any sense. And even if the shares are like $5,000 a person on average with that size of group and that tiny of a percentage that that group would combine to own um, at 5,000, the club valuation gets up to be about 50 million, um, which I don't think is given that the spirit don't own a stadium or a training ground. Yeah. I, I feel like is not a realistic value. So um you know that that's a that's a whole different thing. It, this brought up you, you know your report brought up a lot of other questions that I think are going to need answering at some point. Um, but you know with with Michelle Kang, um, this was a first of like okay she's going to be around. Um, she's not just she didn't just buy in. She's actually present. And I was like well maybe maybe she just wants to see what's going on. And it's just that level of like well I'm new. I, I should at least hang out and see you know what what exactly is happening here. Um, but then at during the preseason, right before the end of the preseason, the Spirit invited a couple media members to the preseason game they played at Audi Field against what was for the for the last couple of days of Sky Blue FC's uh, yeah. existence under that name. Um, and Andre Carlisle and I were, were there. And the only other people that were there that weren't players and, and coaching staff were a few front office members, communication staff, things like that. And then owner various owners and friends of owners um and they were all at one end of the stadium and me and andre went and stood under the press box uh which wasn't open so we just sort of stood there um and watched this game play out but uh she was at that as well and i was like oh she so she's present at this even though she doesn't live in the area she's present on draft day this seems like an owner who wants to be involved to some extent um and i don't know like i, I didn't think one way or the other i just thought like well i wonder how that plays out uh, with the other owners, because when Steve came in, it became Bill Lynch stopped being uh, the public face of the team. Um, you would see him around, but he wasn't speaking on microphone. Um, I was at the, in 2019, uh, late in 2019, they did a little press conference out in Loudoun County 
about how they were going to play four games at the Plex and four at Segra and four at Audi Field. And Steve Baldwin spoke at that, and I didn't see Bill Lynch at that. And I was like, well, that's that's a curious development as well, because he had been previously the owner. Um, yeah. And so seeing seeing Michelle Kang around so much, I was like, okay, maybe the, the dynamic has changed somewhat. Um, but it does sound like uh, from your reporting and, and what you're saying is that effectively they were like, well, that's in the owner, the, the existing owner's minds. They were like, well, she's around, but that's probably it. Um, whereas she was very much on the impression, like I, I'm around, I want to like change things. I want to improve things because if we're being honest, the, as much as the team improved in 2019 off the field, uh, infrastructure wise and all that kind of stuff, it still was like, it was kind of triage. Um, you know, I, I distinctly remember having the feeling that they had a bunch of new people come in that were very good at what they did, but they also had like five or six people's jobs per person. Um, and so improving the organization was going to take a while. And so it would be understandable for, for her to come in just, even if, if everything was going great, just to be like, okay, these are, this is what we can improve. And uh, you know, by staffing up, by changing this, by changing that. Um, But obviously she seems to have found other things that were not going great um, and wanted to address those as well. Um, I, I guess my, my next question is how far along are these things that it seems, you know, as you, you use the phrase uh, that Steve had uh, dug in his heels um, mm-hmm. and we don't have a sense of what the league wants. Um, uh, of course, you know, the league probably prefers it that way until they definitively say, but um, how long do you think this is going to play out? Uh, is this going to be the dynamic for months and months or is it something that's maybe going to come to a head quickly? I think it could really go either way. Um, I I think that, you know, this investigation, we will probably, I assume, not find out uh, directly what what the investigation concludes. But I think it's fair to assume that it's going to look into, you know, the whole organization. So, you know, you could see something where, you know, they make a conclusion about about something about the organization. But honestly, like, I think it's it sort of seems like it might be a bit of a drawn out thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, think from my reporting from, from Steve Goff, my colleague Steve Goff's reporting, I think that, you know, I don't, wouldn't say that Steve Baldwin has a ton of allies in the NWSL ownership um, circles. He has mm-hmm. some, but, you know, I, I would say that that's a factor here. Um, and I mean, we just, it's not, I don't really know how it's going to play out. I think that, you know, I think that Michelle, um, I think some interesting context here is, you know, she, she's a CEO of her own company. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's probably, you know, she's not looking to like be the CEO of the spirit. I, I don't think, um, I think she would like probably hire someone. Right. Um, so it's it just, it, it would change the dynamic. I think, you know, were, were Steve to leave one way or another. Um, but you know, I certainly, yeah, I think they're, they they both maybe dug in their hills and we'll kind of see. And, you know, I hope for the team's sake, um, you know, I was so I was at the game um, on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had, you know, I'm sure you saw they had this banner. Oh, yeah. um, some Rose Room had this banner mm-hmm. um, saying, tell the team, Steve. Um, the owner or the security came over to have them take it down. I was just sitting in my seats eating a hot dog um, and noticed this happening. There was a, there was a cop there. Um, certainly one of those like Streisand effect situations where like, 
I never would have tweeted anything about this if I hadn't seen them trying to force them to take the sign down. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the end of the game, it's tied zero zero. You know, they've been playing really well. I would say that they like had the bulk of the chances, you know, trying to beat North Carolina and the chant was like, sell the team, Steve. Right. Um, So, which is, I think, you know, if I were a player, I would find that difficult not to not to blame the fans at all. But just like if this is going to be the narrative around the team, if this is the bulk of the conversation, you know, if fans are saying like thinking about selling the team. I think it's it's a hard situation for the players to be in. And, you know, I would hope that like there's some sort of resolution because they've been through a lot, um, you know, but I, I guess we'll see. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that I wouldn't be surprised if that becomes a chant in other mm-hmm. at other games. Again, because once you try and shut it down, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I'm glad you brought it up because that was my next question. You're you're you end up as a, a character in Kelsey McKinney's piece for Defector because you were both just trying to have hot dogs and and yeah. watch a soccer game. We're um, big hot dog fans. We like love. We have our, <laughs> you know we bought our season tickets together. I I like brought her in. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, you have to become a fan of women's soccer and. We were there with her husband and yeah, I, I was, uh, it was very funny. She like, it was fun to honestly, you know, we're, we're very good friends, but we never get to report a story together. And we were there in right. the stands holding our, holding our phones together, um, interviewing, trying to interview the spirit staff. They didn't want to talk to us, but the fans did. So, um, mm. <laughs> yeah. While also, while also carrying a hot dog around, um, yeah. and try, mm-hmm. trying to have, trying to have your lunch, um, yeah. uh, or I guess at that hour, maybe dinner, I don't know. Yeah, it was like a um, pre-dinner but, snack, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that, that I mean, I, I can say that, you know, from the press box, um, there are banners that, because the press box is at the other end of the stadium uh, right. from the supporters, and there are banners that you can read. Um, I, I'm blanking on, there's one larger banner that they had that said, I think, believe, protect. Um, there's a third mm-hmm. word that I can't remember, but that was very clear. You could see it from the press box. You can make it out. Uh, this banner... Uh, I wouldn't have known it was there. Um, I, I wouldn't have been able to see it. I might have seen it, you know, looking through Twitter or maybe in the aftermath of the game, people saying like this banner was at the Spirit game. Um, until, you know, in the middle of watching the game, it starts to, um, you know, Rose Room Collective tweeted out that the banner was, they were told to take it down. Um, and now, you know, it's on, it's in a defector piece. We're talking about it now. Um I wrote about it in our morning post at Black and Red United. Um, this kind of thing where, like you said, this is this the perfect example of a Streisand effect where um, they really could have just let it let let it let them have their banner. Um, I, I did reach out to the spirit and they they said that the basically there's a process by which the banners all have to be cleared. Uh, by the venue and by the team uh, 48 hours in advance. And they, they said that the banner was not submitted uh, in time. And that was the reason. Um, but I wanted to ask you, you know, in the middle of all that, what were you hearing and what were the fans saying they were being told uh, by the, whether it's spirit staff or you mentioned the police being there or event security, any of those folks, what, what was the feedback as far as why they had to take the banner away and what the problem was? Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, so the, the cop was kind of just hanging out there. I, mm-hmm. I didn't see him get involved directly. I just, I think it's sort of interesting. And I know that, you know, that supporters group, the Rose Room is the supporters group for people of color. Mm. I think that they did not 
would not have felt super comfortable with the with the police being anywhere near them. So I, I just think that's important context. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, what they were told was, you know, the banner needs to come down. Um, and I believe that eventually, so one person said that they had heard that it was, the request came from ownership. Um, that was the phrase that was used. I'm not, you know, wasn't said who that was. Sure. Um, that's all we heard. Um, and then eventually they were told, you know, if the banner comes back up, you, you're going to get kicked out. Um, so that's when they switched to the chanting. Um, mm. It was interesting. I talked, um, I talked to them and they, you know, they obviously mentioned Richie, and the issues with Richie, um, I think they also mentioned this, you know, the IntelliBridge, um, new mm-hmm. IntelliBridge sponsor, um, you know, which has for them, you know, works with police and um, with ICE. So that that's a big issue. But one, one thing I thought was really interesting is that they mentioned um, Lindsay Behrens, who left the team, I believe, last week. She was the mm-hmm. CMO, I want to say. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh- Something, I mean, again, with the job titles at the Spirit, they changed so much. But essentially, she was like a, a club executive, a high-level yeah. club executive uh, under various names. Yeah. So they they mentioned to me that they were really upset about her leaving. Um, you know, she'd been a really important ally for them within the organization, mm-hmm. and they'd really felt listened to, you know, when they first started. Um, so for them, actually, like Lindsay Barron's leaving was uh, was kind of a red flag and, you know, was was – almost like the main, like they were like, if this is happening, then I don't know what's going on internally, but it's very upsetting to us. Um, So I thought that was really interesting too. Yeah. um, That's another, I mean, unfortunately there's so much going on that um, (laughs) that is another aspect of this, that um, a a major decision maker at the team who was previously in a, you know, a league (laughs) level executive um, uh, was very suddenly and very quietly let go um slash departed it's not even clear exactly what went on there's i've heard rumblings that there was a uh it wasn't just a quiet thing that there was a uh, conflict um but that's all i can really say um but yeah the the intellibridge sponsorship went over pretty badly with at least with the um this is another aspect of this whole thing is that for supporters group fans and for the folks who are on NWSL Twitter all all the time. Um, this is very deeply unpopular. Um, Intel, what IntelliBridge does to make their money is not something that that group of people signs off on. I I'm not a fan of it either personally. Um, but that that's maybe it, it. It kind of I think for the fan base sometimes it's hard to remember that that's the diehard fan base isn't everybody. Um, and I do wonder if the spirit maybe do know something about the construct of their fan base that uh, gets left out, which is that I think a lot of people are still coming to the stadium. They're just like, I just want to see some sports. Um, I don't care about this stuff. Um, And I'm not saying that that's, that's not my perspective, but I do think that we maybe underestimate um, how many of those, those people there are that are just like, Oh, there's a sponsor. Great. Um, And that's the end of it. Um, Which is a, which is another weird aspect to this where, we have a fan base that is not um, necessarily as hyper engaged across the board. Um, there are plenty of fans who are like, you know, they're going to listen to this podcast, but there are, you know, I see my listener numbers. I know that it's not everyone coming to the game is listening to the podcast. Yeah. Um, and so there's that also that dynamic of who, who is the fan base? You know, if you ask people at the supporters end, 
it's a certain group of people. I think if you went to the spirit and said, like, from a you know business analytics perspective, who is the fan base? It's going to be a different. There's a different set of people that are spending a couple grand on season tickets, or maybe even buy uh, box seats, etc. That change how they feel about these things. Um, but I am, I, I'm not too surprised to hear that it wasn't just the coaching situation. It's the whole the whole package right now, um, yeah. because. I want to say um, Angie from the Spirit Squadron tweeted out, I, I'm paraphrasing here because I'm remembering this rather than reading it directly, but she she tweeted about how two things are true. Uh, the Spirit under Baldwin's leadership have become a dramatically healthier organization financially, infrastructure-wise. Um, I, I think I've said this on this podcast that like in 2018, you just didn't see very many Spirit employees. Um, I would come to a game uh, as media, and I would encounter possibly three actual employees. Um, everyone else, there was a you know game day volunteer, things like that. Um, and now there are many people who literally work their job is for the spirit, um, which is all needed, uh, and if anything needed to con- needs to continue improving. But at the same time, we have all of these other problems where a sponsorship comes in that is deeply unpopular with the loudest portion of the fan base and. Uh, well-liked, well-respected executives are suddenly leaving, um, which never looks good. Um, I, I don't, I, I don't know exactly where to go with that because it seems like there we have so many questions right now, um, and not not a ton of answers. You provided most of them, but we still, it feels like we need a yeah a lot more. Um, yeah, I, I think the NWSL as a whole is is going through a similar kind of. I don't know if it's an identity crisis, but there is this tension between maybe their loud, their loudest fan base, maybe even their biggest fan base in terms of, you know, we just don't know, but then there, you know, there is a whole nother group of people who are, you know, youth, like youth soccer fans. And, um, you know, I think that it's just interesting to kind of see how that poll works. Um, and, um, I think that, uh, you know, for the spirit, it's, it's interesting, you know, you have, a lot of like when you look at the identity of players um, or sorry, with the NWSL as a whole, a lot of players are, you know, queer and a lot of players are, you know, there's, there's an increasing number of players of color, which is great. Um, So I think that that's also an important thing to like, keep in mind is, Mm -hmm. you know, that the players maybe need to feel more listened to and, um, you know, they're a part of this equation too. Um, you know, you want them to play for a league that, you know, they want, you want them to feel comfortable playing for playing under with a certain sponsor's name on their chest and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely, I think this season, there's been a lot of turmoil and the the question of like who the fans are and, and how we should, you know, defer to them or listen to them is a lot of teams are figuring that out. I would yeah. Say. yeah. And, and, you know, to speak of the players, the, the CBA is an ongoing, situation as well yeah um that will will also cause more change um a lot of it very necessary and overdue uh but it will also contribute to this feeling of you you can't step away like we've we've been talking for almost an hour and i feel like as soon as i check twitter there's going to be something else that's going to be some sort of massive news item um it it is it really is a non-stop thing i you know yesterday we didn't just get one coaching you know, one coach departure. We also got a coach uh, coming in at Gotham. Um, it really is nonstop in the league right now, which, you know, 
a lot of it is necessary change, but also speaks to how much work needed to be done and probably how much needs to be done. And I, I feel like we're not even at like the middle of all of this um, locally yeah. with the spirit as well as um, going forward. Um, I, I did want to talk to you about uh, the game, but we have been talking for an hour. I, I want to give you the out if you've got other things to do. Oh, no, um, let's do the game before we go. <laughs> sure. Okay. Um, so we, we are coming off of a, it's the third game under the interim leadership. The, I, th- I believe the term the spirit eventually settled on is acting head coach, Chris Ward. Um, getting that was a whole thing that, that relates back to the sort of silo thing where I was like, I had to ask them, how am I supposed to refer to the coaches right now? And they said, well, just right now it's, it's Chris and Paul are both the coaches. And then uh, in the game guide that they email out um, their match day magazine, it listed Chris as acting head coach. And I was like, is this the term? And I was told like, apparently yes. Um, But these are the the levels of a, the job title thing and b the number of surprises. But anyway, um, coming off of a zero, zero draw with North Carolina, it is three games unbeaten uh, since Richie left. And you could argue the spirit probably had the better of all three of those games. Uh, But, you know, in Houston, they had a two, two, nothing lead slip away against uh um orlando it really took till the last minute to get the game winner this game against north carolina the spirit had their chances couldn't break through Uh, you know speaking as a fan like you said what is your impression of how things are going since in these three games and especially this this last game against uh, a courage team the last time they played they really kind of ran them off the field uh this game i think was the spirit were the better team but it was definitely closer yeah, it felt like, I mean, I felt like the first half to me really seemed like it, the spirit were, you know, pretty dominant for most of that. And then it, it did like that changed a fair bit in the second half. I mean, I think that like, uh, it's interesting. I I don't know whether I'm reading into it or not. I felt, I feel like the spirit players are playing, um, you know, maybe everything's not quite fitting together exactly right but the Mm. the chances they got in that game were great and they were really exciting um you know I just I I feel like I'm a huge Ashley Sanchez fan I I love to just like see whatever she's gonna come up with next Mm. um and the connection between her and and Trinity Rodman is really building um you know I think like seeing Kelly O'Hara and Emily Sonnet like reintegrated into the team um it's I'm hoping that that is kind of gonna help fix things as well. Um, like she, I think she had the assist or something in the Orlando game, maybe. Um, maybe. Uh, O'Hara? Yeah. Or like the I second think, assist to the assist or something. I, yeah. I think it was her, her cross in that Orlando got a foot too, but then hit the oh, ball right, right in the hatch. Yeah. yeah. Off the ones. Yeah. So to the, t- for the tying goal. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I felt like, you know, in this game, it's interesting because I, what I was going to say, and I don't really know that much about soccer tactics, but in previous season, in the past seasons, I think that they're the sort of passing, building out of the back, um, you know, it, it kind of got, I mean, you, it was just very obvious what Richie was trying to get them to do um, mm-hmm. and the way that they played the, the passing game. And I feel like even before he left this season, you could see that changing some, partly because if you have a player like Trinity Rodman, like, you know, you, you maybe want to go a little bit more direct sometimes and mm-hmm. a lot of their opportunities were like not out of not like the sort of passing game type thing. So I think it'll be interesting to see how that evolves um, under a new coach and whether they do kind of keep 
maybe moving beyond that or or shifting from that, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, it, that's maybe maybe the biggest thing with them right now is, you know, are they are they going to go back to being more heavily possession oriented or are they just, uh, you know, I, I don't think they're ever going to go away from being at least within NWSL circles more possession oriented than most teams um, because right. the league is is extremely transition soccer for everybody. Everyone does it differently, but they're all kind of trying to do the same thing, which is under Richie Burke. That was kind of like the thing that marked the spirit out as different is that they were not trying to do that um, to the anywhere near to the extent of everyone else. Um, but like you said, if your if your front line is Trinity Rodman, uh, Ashley Hatch definitely has scored most of her goals yeah. running in behind or getting to crosses uh, that come from those opens, you know, getting the, the game to open up. Um, if the games are open and transition heavy, that also means Ashley Sanchez gets to dribble at people more often. Um, if you have that as your player pool, uh, as your front line, you, you kind of, it would be, you know, hard to resist doing anything other than giving them the ball as often as possible. Um, I did notice um, looking through the game notes and stuff that they supply media that this game against North Carolina, the, the normal the, with the spirit, it's such a routine thing to see like high passing percentages for the defenders and yeah. Paige Nielsen getting 105 touches on the ball. Um, I think when I had her on as a guest a while ago, she talked about how she kind of joked, but she's like, yeah, moving back actually gets me more of the ball. So I'm happy from when I used to be an attacker, I, I just get to have the ball more than everyone else. Um, and this game was like kind of the third step in, those numbers are reducing and becoming more of like, they look like most other teams. Um, their percentages, the accuracy of passing is lower a little bit because people are taking more chances and um, the midfield and forwards are getting more of the ball, which means the defenders are having less of it. I think um, you mentioned Emily Sonnet. I think that plays maybe more to her strengths um, yeah. because that was an ongoing thing with um, the spirit before she left for the Olympics. The, um, the way that uh, the, the I think Richie referred to it as she was trying to play national team soccer um, with the spirit who want to play a very different brand of soccer. Um, and one thing that happened when she left for the Olympics, you know, Nielsen just happened to be coming back from injury at that time anyway, and got plugged back into the lineup and you see the possession stats go up and sort of the fluency in how they play went up as well. Um, but it also, if you're going to become more direct, do you go more towards a player that wants to play that way, which seems to be Sonnet's preference more than Nielsen's. Um, and that played out in this game that, that the way that plays out is now, um, you know, Chris Ward told us after the Orlando game that he views Sonnet as a center back and not as a fullback, um, which is why we saw Paige Nielsen playing right back uh, against North Carolina um, which the, the team had talked about this. I, I mentioned this in the preview that that was something they considered in preseason um, once they made all these moves and once they they were talking about playing three in the back and then that went away very quickly, um, which is still, a, I'm puzzled by that to a certain extent because all their moves set them up to play that way and then they were like, this is not working and they just put it aside and it's, not, it's never been talked of. I haven't even heard about it since then. Um, but it does it does lead to some things like, you know, Paige Nielsen's an excellent player. Is she a right back? Um, is she comfortable there? Uh, or is she doing her best at that role? Um, 
I, I don't know if, if that if that struck you in any way, the, the, the aspect of how the lineup has changed with now everyone's back and they've got many, many good players. And it's like, well, how do you put them into, how do you put them together? Yeah. No, I mean, it's funny because I feel like a lot of the things we're saying, I'm also big, you know, obviously a national team fan. And I'm just remembering like the three, like it was in 2017 or 2018, yeah. they tried a three back for three. Like you can't, it feels like you can't just do a three back for three games because it's, you're going to, it's going to suck the first three games and you got to keep, and it was very like, you got to keep doing it. You've got to be really committed to it. And it was always, I feel like I was like, it's going to be hard to do that when you have your two defenders, like coming out, coming in and out for a national mm-hmm. team. Maybe. Like that was a piece of it too. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I certainly, I mean, I think it's, again, it's a g- good problem to have um, about, you know, who's going to play where, um, and, uh, I, I just, I would just remember, I mean, the, the, did you look at the number of passes? Like, I remember every time the announcers would always say, you know, I'm, I'm not like talking about the tactics to coaches or anything, but you'd always hear the announcers say they, you know, Richie wants them to have at least 600 passes. Like that was mm-hmm. their, their goal. Um, I imagine that that is not, they're not getting 600 passes anymore. Is that true? Yeah, they definitely didn't get there. <laughs> I'm. I'm literally pulling up the the um the stats package they sent us to be absolutely sure on this. Yeah. And in in this game they got to 452. Um okay. and they did have they had more of the possession in North Carolina but 54% is not really mm-hmm. the old spirit the spirit where their their whole thing was 60% possession and 600 passes. Um yeah. I feel like we hear that in almost every Paramount Plus broadcast about the team. Yeah. Um, or at least we did. Uh, now with with a coaching change, that I, I would assume that the the questions that they're going to be asking, uh, assuming that they get to talk to the coaching staff um, before these <laughs> broadcasts, um, but that there are at least some degree of changes. You know, um, Chris's answer about Sonnet, for example, was a more definitive statement than Richie had been willing to give. Um, he had tried her as a defensive midfielder. Uh, in one game before she left, I I've talked about it on the podcast a couple times. I love that idea, um, especially when you've got so many other good defenders. But also, at the same time, this is another part of the problem. If you move Sonnet into the midfield, what do you do with the excellent midfielders that are already right. there? Um, Where does Andy Sullivan go? Yeah, it's yeah. tough. And if you move, She's if you personality of a defensive midfield, it feels like. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like. I feel like Sonnet would love to have that freedom to go win the ball um, and, and get on the ball more often higher up the field. Uh, we've seen her a couple of times come out from the defense or, or um, at the national team level playing as a fullback and not just like, not just staying home and not just staying wide and hitting crosses, but like looking to dribble people. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm curious to see how it plays out because they really do have so many players that it's like, how do you fit the pieces all together during the Olympics? It was a little more clear um, because all of a sudden it was, it was kind of obvious what they were going to do until Tegan McGrady got hurt in the warm up a few weeks ago. Um, and they had to try a few different things where Anna Halferty is playing some fullback. Chinello uh, uh, Asher started a game at left back the, the game that um, McGrady got hurt in the warm up. Asher was called on to be a starter within like, I, I think Richie said it was like a 10 minute window that they made the decision. Um, so um, 
they never really, it's one of those weird timing things where they never got to do the, well, this is what it seems like you should do with this group of players. And then everyone came back and it became unclear again, um, yeah. which uh, it is a good problem, but it's also like, you know, it, it can be tough. It can be tough to tell, you know, how do you tell Tegan McGrady that she's not getting to play when she's back off the injury report? Um, or how do you ask Paige Nielsen, you're like, you've been playing really well at center back. We're going to move you out to the right where um, you have not played in NWSL. I think maybe she maybe played there when she was drafted uh, once or twice, uh, but that's years ago. Um, It's, it's a strange situation that I I would love to know more about from the coaching perspective, but also like we talked about, they are, I'm sure overwhelmed. Um, uh, I, I don't even know how they're getting through, their days without you know do they get to sleep more than three or four hours because this team started the year with a four-person soccer coaching staff plus um sports science and all the other stuff and you know um carrie left for denmark a little while before um the richie news came through and now all of a sudden you've got one assistant and a goalkeeper coach for the whole thing um that's that's not that's not good for anyone um I think everyone's playing well, performing well in, in those circumstances, but I'm also like, um, how long is that dynamic going to play? Um, are, is the team going to just last the year with an interim leadership? Are they going to add to the coaching staff just to alleviate some of that? Or are they going to try and pilot? They're in sixth place right now. So they're right on the edge of the playoffs. Um, are they going to try and pilot through? It's, it's eight games. It's not nothing. It's not like we've got a couple weeks to get through. It's a third of the season um, and the hard part, right? Yeah. Well, and, and I think this is where the NWSL turmoil factor comes back in because also how many different teams, you know, Louisville is now looking for a coach, right? Mm-hmm. Like there is the Thorns, I believe, are looking for coaches. Well, they will be, yeah. They will be. So, yeah. I mean, you not only, you know, are they competing with these other Sorry, there's a siren going by. That's all right. Um, not only are they competing with these other NWSL teams, I think the pool is not huge. I also think, you know, you want to be a team that a really high-quality head coach comes into. And mm-hmm. certainly, like, in terms of the talent of the players, that's absolutely, you know, I think absolutely a head coach would want to coach these players. But in terms of what, you know, what we've reported of what's going on in the team right now, you know, are they going to be an attractive place for a, for a head coach you know, high quality head coach to go, hopefully like a woman head coach or a person of color. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, so, like it would be great to get some diversity. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's going to be hard to, to find someone and, you know, I hope they find someone really good. I thought the way Gotham, you know, announced their, you know, they have both a, a new head coach and announcing another assistant who's a woman, mm-hmm. who's a former player. Like that's a kind of a cool model for them to maybe follow if they're not able to find a diverse coach, you know, to head the team. Yeah. Um, and, and what's interesting is um, as much as I know, you know, that the end of the Jim Gabara era went pretty badly for the spirit. Um, but one thing that was a kind of a recurring theme in that era was um, he always had at least one woman uh, as an assistant, whether it was uh, Bryce Scurry, who's now one of the one of the owners of the team um, or uh, Denise Reddy uh, was there for for I, I want to say two years. I might. It might be one year, but I think I, I think it was two, um, and, you know, making it uh, to some degree a priority um, uh, because this is kind of another ongoing thing is that 
one of the things uh, Kaya spoke about uh, is that, um, and I think even going back to early after she left the team, um, was just trying to find a woman, a woman coach, uh, a team with a woman coach, trying to find that environment again, um, because it felt like a place where she could prosper. Um, and unfortunately, one of one of American soccer's many problems is that really have not done anywhere near enough to make sure that the pool of women coaches is big. Um, there is, uh, you know, Angel City got uh, roasted pretty thoroughly um, when they were linked to Sean Nahas, the North Carolina assistant coach. Um, and there was a huge list of um, potential candidates uh, being circulated uh, in their, I, I want to say one of their supporter groups uh, put that out. Um, but some of the issue is there is that when you read through that list, it's a lot of college coaches who don't have a good reason to want to leave a college program because those are high paying jobs with a pension. Whereas an NWSL coaching gig, the pension isn't there. The salary probably doesn't match uh, at a lot of the clubs um, and a lot of other options who are, haven't been given the experience. There is no, there's no venue for them to get that experience. Um, you don't have, MLS or USL teams. I think San Diego Loyal has a woman assistant or at least had at some point. And I think that might be the entire list on the men's pro side in, in America for uh, women and Canada. I'll throw them in too, though. I guess the Canadian Premier League, I don't, I can't speak on that. They might have um, more women assistants there, but at least for the, the mostly American leagues, it's almost nothing. Um, so where do you, find those qualified candidates for how do you get them to the point where they uh have that experience um are you as a club willing to give them that uh that sort of job without you know at you're you're taking a chance um but that is kind of what's needed uh people have to start being willing to take that chance because yeah. otherwise it is kind of the very narrow coaching carousel repeats itself i mean christy holland Oh, I, I mean, I think you're, I was just going to say, like, I think that one thing to remember is that like this league has definitely taken a chance on unqualified male, not unqualified, yes. but male point. coaches with no professional coaching experience or with very limited professional coaching experience before, mm -hmm. like Blacko Ananofsky yeah. did not come into the league. He was great, you know, yeah. and, and I, Richie did not have a, a huge, you know, resume right. of professional coaching experience. So I, I imagine that the Angel City fans partly we're thinking, okay, like let's take a risk on a, on a woman or, a, or a, a person of color the way we've taken a risk before on, on many white men. I imagine that like Angel City watched the way Gotham did their announcement and were like, should have done that. Like yeah. that, you know, because you can say, look, we were not able maybe to find someone for the head coaching shop. Obviously Scott, I've, I've only heard good things about Scott Parkinson, yeah. but like we are creating this pipeline and we're committed to this. And like, had they done something like that without it getting leaked, like I, I bet the reaction would have been, you know, it wouldn't have been like thrill, but it would have been different. Um, so yeah. yeah. Some of it is just down to how you, how you announce these things. Um, yeah. But also uh, the day to day, um, you know, how, how you interact with people. Uh, Angel city kind of set themselves up, I think to, have extremely heightened expectations um, so that anything that wasn't uh, meeting those expectations was going to be immediately reacted to badly. Um, and, and people were going to be deeply unhappy. And that's, that's how that played out. And then, you know, speaking of those clubs, that's how they ended up deciding like, okay, we need to go back and 
look for other coaches, and they ended up hiring Freya Kuhn from Gotham, uh, which is its own bizarre set of circumstances because Gotham, by all reports, were like, yes, you can talk to her, um, which is maybe not what I would have done if, if I yeah. were uh, <laughs> if I were a professional soccer club. I might have been like, maybe after the season uh, right. or never, but certainly not right now. We're we're busy right now. Yeah. Um, but you know, at, at least on this, on to some extent, that is a a coach who was new. Uh, she came to the league. Uh, you know, generally we see coaches who are in their forties and fifties, uh, regardless of gender. And yet Freya comes in in her thirties. They're giving her as a as a up and coming coach this opportunity. Um, that maybe this is the the kind of the way forward that that Gotham uh, got right is is saying like, look, you know these coaches are out there. You might have to dig. You might have to look at England. Um, it is kind of weird that um, the younger coaches coming in, the coaches that aren't from the existing American pool of the set of coaches that are always around are young and English. Um, and that's it. There's not, there's not a, uh, there's a whole world. And yet it's like, okay, we couldn't find anyone in our backyard. We couldn't find, you know, we can't put together a financial package to hire the top college coaches. Let's look at like, the women's super league and yeah. you know we'll look at birmingham and bristol and and etc and what can we do um but maybe that's that's it's something uh it's, it's progress on some level at least um but yeah, yeah it's uh the next the next step for this team is figuring out who you know gotham hired a coach pretty quickly uh that did not take a lot of time um and how how alluring is the spirit job to the pool of candidates because I let, you know, like you, I've heard only ever heard good things about Scott Parkinson. Um, and I've even heard that there was a, um, early in the season, Chicago beat North Carolina with a very unique tactical setup. They kind of, they presented themselves as playing their normal formation and then had a winger dropping back and a fullback coming up. And all of a sudden they ended up with like six midfielders and North Carolina was like, it, it confused the hell out of us. And after the game, I think Rory Dame said that that was a Scott Parkinson idea. That was all him. Um, so, you know, obviously there are big talents out there that maybe are assistants on some other teams, but um, yeah, I don't know what the spirit are going to do because that they, they are kind of closed off. Um, and this is one of the many aspects that not only are they closed off, but there's also, there's a whole thing going on with who's even making that decision. Who can, who gets to actually pick the coach and sign off and say, this is the coach now right. um, that maybe that, maybe that is why to go back to the question of how, how soon will they hire someone? Maybe that, that is the dictating why it might be until this winter. Um, but in any case, um, I think I've, I've taken up most of your <laughs> afternoon. Um, I'm, I'm very glad this podcast took place right after a tornado warning for me. And I was very worried the entire time that my power was going to go out. So I'm glad the Plex weather didn't get me. I made it. Um, yeah, just, just barely. Um, but uh, Molly, thank you so much. Uh, this was really a really great conversation, uh, really in depth. Uh, I really appreciate the reporting as well as your time. Uh, is there anything you, you want to direct people towards right now? Uh, people can find you online, things like that. Yeah. Um, on Twitter, I'm at Molly HC. Um, and yeah, check out the, the post, uh, you know, myself and my colleague, Stephen Goff, who does most of the, you know, day-to-day coverage of the spirit. Um, and 
if you have any story ideas for me, um, I do sports investigations. I focus on sport. I focus in large part on like sports and gender. Um, so yeah, hit me up on Twitter. <laughs> Great. My email address is in my Twitter bio too. So. And that's the show. Thanking Molly again for her time. She was very generous to speak with me for uh, over an hour. Uh, when I initially was like, maybe we talk for half an hour, maybe a little more. And she was like, no, no, uh, as much as you need. Hopefully uh, we got, we covered all the bases uh, that needed to be covered. Uh, I think it's all an extremely important topic uh, for all of us uh, covering the team, following the team. If you care about the league at all, all of these things are very vital that they keep being discussed and keep being reported on. Uh, in the in the way that uh, Molly did and that other people around the league have been able to do. It's really pushing the league forward in a way that it needs to be pushed. So um, I was glad to have her on. It was a lot of fun in its way. It's just also not the most fun topic for the most part. But, you know, I think you know what I'm saying. So I'm going to stop rambling and, and wrap up the show. Thank you for listening. As always, you can find the show on the website at plexweather.pinecast.co. There is a tip jar at the bottom of that if you want to financially support the show, uh, help me keep it going. Uh, it really means the world to me that even even like 10 people are listening. That's awesome. And more than 10 people listen, which is even more awesome. So that's where you can find it on the web. Uh, you can find a, the podcast Twitter account is at PlexWeather, all one word. Uh, my personal Twitter account, which is where most of the spirit tweets will go along with uh, DC United and other stuff is uh, at Jason DC Soccer. Uh, I apologize for the tweets that are pointless or uh, 90s nostalgia. The rest of it is mostly soccer. If you want to find the right place to get this podcast on a regular basis, it's on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, probably some other spots. Those are the big ones. It's on all of them. I've checked. It shows up there. Um, if you could rate and review uh, the sites that allow for it, if you rate and review I believe it will make this show show up higher in the aggregated rankings. If that's a thing that you care about, I would greatly appreciate it. I, I don't actually know. I'm just, I've heard every other podcast say that. So that's why I'm saying it. I might be off base. And on that predictably confusing note, uh, I do have one last thing to throw in here. As I've teased on Twitter, as I've talked about, there is an episode involving the topic of cicadas. It is coming soon. I didn't publish it because it can't, I was finished it literally the day that Richie Burke was no longer the head coach when that announcement came out. I figured this is not what people want to talk about right now, uh, but it is ready. It will come out soon. Figured that we needed to have this discussion about the various things going on at the club before we could start getting into fun and goofy stuff. But it will be out soon, and hopefully you will enjoy it in the way that I did. Uh, and it seemed like the way the players did. I, I don't know if they're as fond of the topic as I was as a spoiler for the show, but I will keep the rest of it to myself until I put that one out. In the meantime, thank you for listening, and I will be back next week with a new episode. <laughs>